Holy Spirit, pray that you would please take the words I'm about to speak, take the things we're about to think, take your scripture and use it to free us, and we'll be grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to say hello to those of you, the small army of you out there in the narthex. Great to have you. But with the cameras, you've got the best view in the house now, so good to have you with us. A couple of weeks ago, my wife was getting our kids ready to go to school, but our four-year-old daughter was still lounging around in bed. So Christina was calling up the stairs for her to get up, but she just wouldn't do it. And so Christina kept yelling, and finally Lucy came downstairs, and, and she said, it's all warm in my bed, but every time you yell, I stop relaxing. <laughs> I want to ask you this question. Do you ever feel like that in life? That there's some problem yelling at you and it stops you from relaxing and starts you to worry? We're continuing our series on breaking free from the things that hold us in bondage. And today I want to talk about worry. Now there may be one or two or three of you who, like my daughter, never worry at all. Maybe like 2% of you. My wife is genetically incapable of worry. Whereas, as I've told you in the past, it's my spiritual gift. You may not worry, but most of the rest of us, 98% of us, do. We worry about our kids, careers, health, money, you name it, we worry about it. And what do we get for all of that worry? That would be nothing. It does absolutely no good at all. You see, worry is different than focusing on a problem, trying to think of a solution. That's positive. That's creative. Worry is when we stew on something, when we let it eat us up, when we start to imagine the worst possible scenarios that could possibly occur, most of which never do. You ever do that? No, it's going to be horrible, right? That's worry. And it's bondage. And it causes all kinds of stress. It can even wreck our health. But worse than that, worry blocks God's power to deliver us from any kind of bondage. If you remember last week, I talked about how unforgiveness blocks God's power to free us from any kind of bondage at all. Well, worry does the same thing. What do you want to break free from in 2008? Busyness, insecurity, bad health. If you're not breaking free from those things, one possibility might be because worry is blocking God's power to deliver you. Now, obviously, worry doesn't cause things like financial problems or insecurity or something like that. But worry certainly makes those things worse. Because not only do you have that problem, but on top of that, you add worry. So you're adding bondage on top of bondage. And, and it doesn't do any good. It doesn't do any good at all. Plus, it blocks God's power to free us from any other kind of bondage. Because worry, by definition, is us turning away from God and focusing not on Him, but on the problem instead of on Jesus and Jesus' solution. Worry is basically when we push God out of our life and just kind of latch onto the problem and don't let go. And it doesn't change a thing. Worry is like a rocking chair. It it gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. So whatever our bondage is, whether it's depression or a critical spirit, if we want to break free from it, we need to get rid of worry. So how do we do that? How do we get free from worry? Well, someone recently sent me this picture of a sign outside a church that said, don't let worries kill you, let the church help. That's what happens when you don't use semicolons. It's a disaster. It's an absolute disaster. That has nothing to do with anything, by the way. I just wanted to show it to you. 
I'm going to try to give you a solution to worry that won't kill you. When it comes to worry, the main thing we have to do is change our focus. When we worry, we don't have a worry problem. We have a focus problem. We worry when we're focused on the wrong thing. A while back, my wife took our eight-year-old daughter to the eye doctor for the first time. And you know, he put that little tester thing in front of her and said, can you read the chart? And she said no. So he increased the lenses and she still couldn't read it. He kept upping the lenses until they were these little telescopes that could see the rings of Saturn, you know. She still couldn't read the chart. Finally, my wife realized what the problem was, and she said, Holly, Holly, it's not a word. Just read the letters. (laughs) They didn't laugh that hard at nine, did they? (laughs) She's trying to read it as a word, you know, eapataz. I mean, <laughs> she didn't have a vision problem. Her vision was fine. She was focusing in the wrong way. When we worry, we don't have a worry problem. We have a focus problem. We're focused on our problem rather than on Jesus and his solutions. The story we just read is one of my favorites in the Bible, mostly because I identify with the disciples. They're in this giant storm, the boat's sinking. And what is Jesus doing? Sleeping in the back of the boat, kind of like my four-year-old daughter, right? And, and they come in and say, Jesus, don't you care if we drown? Have you ever asked God that? I, I got a health problem. I got a relationship problem. I got a money problem. Jesus, don't you care if I drown? But what are the disciples focused on? The storm. What are we often focused on? The storm. The problem. What was Jesus focused on? God and God's power and God's solutions. And that's why he was able to sleep. He was focused on the right thing. As the other passage we read says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. In other words, if we focus on Jesus, we will have peace even when things are tough. That's how we get out of worry. You know, I don't know about you, but I hate it when I'm worried about something. I hate it when someone says to me, well, just don't worry about it. You're like, well, if I could do that, I wouldn't be worried, right? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. And if I sit there, I go, okay, I'm not going to worry, I'm not going to worry, I'm not going to worry. What am I thinking about? The worry, right? So as I've told you in the past, we never run from something, we run to something else instead. So to get out of worry, we do not run from worry, we run to Jesus instead. And we can do that in two or four ways that all begin with the letter R. Four ways that all begin in the letter R to run to Jesus. The first, rebuke the worry. Remember two weeks ago, I talked about how we can take every thought captive, every thought that leads to bondage, we can take it captive and make it obedient to Christ and get it out of our minds. Well, that's what we need to do when worry shows up. First thing we need to do is rebuke it. Say, worry, you are from the devil. Go back to where you came from. Second R to get out of worry. Read God's promises in Scripture, such as I will never leave you or forsake you. Or the Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He is mighty to save. God's promises can comfort us. You know, throughout Scripture, there's this interesting pattern that emerges. Promise, problem, provision. God makes a promise. People encounter a problem. And God provides a solution. Promise, problem, provision. Reading Scripture fills our minds with God's promises and His provision over time. That can, that can comfort us. Third R to escape worry is to remember God's God's faithfulness in the past. 
You know, a great way to boost confidence in God is to remember how he has helped us in the past. Even if you don't believe in God, even if you're not sure about this whole God thing, think back to to a time when you faced some crisis and it was averted or when something bad really did happen, but but good came out of it. That was God, in my opinion, guiding you, helping you, protecting you. My wife keeps a 10-year journal, and reading it always gives me hope because it shows me what we've lived through, what we've survived. And there's this one entry in July of 2004 that says, The boy, meaning our son, the boy was horrible. Don't know what I'm going to do. Same date, exactly one year later, same date, said Jackson was an angel today. A real joy. I just love those two entries back to back. It shows nothing lasts forever. If it came to pass, it will come to go. It's not going to stick around. As the hymn says, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. And God brought me this far. God will be with me in the present. Remember, rebuke the worry. Read scripture. Remember God's faithfulness. And the fourth R is to receive Jesus through prayer. Let me dwell on this one a little bit. How do we practically do that? Especially when we're worried and our minds are distracted. Well, as I've told you in the past, I will often pray. Prayer that's been very helpful for me is Jesus This is your problem. What do you want to do about it? And since we're physical beings, it is always, it is often very helpful to do something physical. So I'll usually just kind of imagine Jesus sitting right next to me and I'll take my hand and I'll scoop up the problem and I'll dump it in his lap and I'll say, there, that's yours. Jesus, what do you want to do about it? And I'll just do that over and over and over again as, as often as I need to do it. I have a friend whose son is a Navy SEAL stationed somewhere in the Middle East. And his, his parents never really know where he is because that's classified information. And, and he's allowed only a 20-minute phone call every couple of weeks. And for some strange reason, he calls his fiancée instead of his parents. Go figure. So this poor woman has a lot to worry about. And I think those of us with kids can really identify with that. And it's easy. She says it's easy for her to go down the what-if path. What if he's captured? What if he's injured? What if he's killed? So when she starts to worry, she reminds herself, she kind of rebukes the worry. She starts off rebuking the worry, reminds herself that that worry is not going to change the outcome one bit. But that worry can cut her off from God. It can make her not be connected to God. So worry has the power to block God's power to free her from any kind of bondage. So she rebukes the worry. Then she reads God's promises in Scripture. Then she receives Jesus through prayer constantly. She prays over and over again in bed, in her study, in the car. She says, Jesus, help me trust you and please be my son's shield and defender. And she doesn't do that once or twice a week. She does that every single time that worry light goes on. And that connects her to God and that diminishes the worry. That doesn't mean that everything's going to turn out the way that she wants it to. Bible never promises that. But it does mean that she has peace no matter what happens. And guys, that's really breaking free. That is real freedom. See, she is not dependent on a certain outcome in order to have peace. That's bondage. She can have peace no matter what the outcome is. That, that is real freedom. Her favorite scripture is Philippians 4, and it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then what? And then everything will turn out the way you want? Then her son will be perfectly protected or the money problem or the health problem or the bad habit is just going to disappear overnight. Well, that may happen. That may happen. But the real promise is that no matter what happens, the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
When we focus on Jesus, we can have peace no matter what. Because we know that God is with us. And we know that even if the worst happens, even if the worst happens, God will use that for good. In fact, this same friend who has a son who's a Navy SEAL, there was one point in her life where she was unfairly fired from her job because her boss was kind of a tyrant. And she spent a couple of years looking for a new job, feeling very, very discouraged. But, but in that time, God started to kind of do something. Slowly, she began to realize that she kind of had always wanted to be a pastor. And that was kind of a lifelong calling for her, and she always wanted to be a pastor. And in a lot of ways, a lot of her life, she kind of disregarded that because she thought it was impractical, which it is. But never mind. So this kind of God began to surface, and she began praying about it and talking with some friends. And these friends then volunteered to pay her way through seminary. And now she's 60 years old. She's a pastor. She's got a whole new lease on life. She's doing something that she's always wanted to do but never thought it would happen. It was painful for a lot of years, but God used it for good. And now when she remembers that, when she remembers God's faithfulness in the past, it gives her confidence that even if the worst happens in the present, God will be with her and will use it for good. It's all about what you're focused on. It's all about what you're focused on, the problem or Jesus a couple of weeks ago, one of the guys in men's fraternity sent me a supposedly true letter that was written to Dear Abby, and it shows how what we focus on can make a difference, and it also a little bit about how weird men can be, but it says this, Dear Abby, I really need your advice. I suspect my wife's been cheating on me. Usual signs, phone rings, but if I answer, the caller hangs up. She's been going out with the girls a lot recently, although when I ask her name, she always says, just some friends from work, you don't know them. Well, last night I decided to check on her. Around midnight, I hid in the garage behind my golf clubs so I could get a good view of the whole street when she came home. Well, when she got out of the car, she, her, her, her clothes were all, she was adjusting her clothes, her hair was all messed up. And it was in that moment, crouching behind my golf clubs, that I noticed a hairline crack where the grit meets the shaft in my three-wood. <laughs> Can I fix this myself or should I take it to the pro shop? It's all about the guys are laughing harder at that one than the women. It's all about what you look at, right? And some of you right now are probably thinking, I wonder how my three-wood is doing. <laughs> What's your focus? It's all about where you're focused. How big your problems appear to you are all about what your eyes are looking at, the problem or Jesus. If we focus on Jesus and his power, our worries fade. This is something that I have been experiencing personally ever since I came here. And many of you have, have helped me on this. And Jesus has slowly, very slowly, began to make me worry less. And a big turning point for me came during our capital campaign. And capital campaigns are usually acknowledged from pastors as being kind of one of the harder things that you can do. And pastors love to tell each other horror stories of capital campaigns that didn't go very well. It's sort of like how when you're pregnant for the first time, people feel compelled to tell you their horror stories about having a baby you know, women will say to an expectant mom, I was in labor for seven days. And then when the baby was born, we didn't sleep for 15 years. Well, pastors do the same thing on capital campaigns. And several pastors told me stories about a couple of different churches where the church didn't make the goal for the campaign and the pastor was fired. Now, I kind of knew that wouldn't happen here, right? What's going to happen here? I kind of knew that. But that's what worry does, right? It makes us kind of think of the worst possible outcomes. And, you know, there was some evidence for it. It does happen in churches. And some of you can probably relate to that. Maybe you've never led a capital campaign, but you've had some challenge. You didn't know how you were going to handle it. Or you have imagined worst possible outcomes in a lot of different situations. Well, that's what I was doing. 
So one of the things I did was I decided to go to Compline every week of the capital campaign. And Compline is a 30-minute service over in St. Mark's Cathedral in, in Seattle on Sunday nights where it's just 30 minutes of Gregorian chant. And you can pray and you can think. When I was in college, I went every single Sunday night. In graduate school, when I was here for the summers, I, I would go every single Sunday night then as well. So the first week of the campaign, I went, to be honest, to beg. You know, oh God, please, 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 I don't want to be fired. Please, God, please. But as I opened the door, I had this thought. I thought, I have been opening this same door for 25 years in all kinds of different scenarios in my life. And I sat down, but before I could start praying, I had this near out-of-body experience. And this has only happened to me twice in my life, where I get these series of memory flashes that are so intense I can almost see them with my eyes. It was as if God was saying, you know, you're not talking tonight, Dudley. I got something to say. So I started having all of these memories. I remembered praying in that exact same cathedral 25 years earlier as a college student during final exams. I remembered praying in that same place about a certain woman I wanted to ask out on a date. I remembered praying there months later about that same certain woman who'd broken up with me. I remembered praying there several years later about another woman I was going to ask to marry me. There's a strong woman theme that runs through this. I remembered praying there while I was going through a divorce. I remembered praying there when I was in graduate school. One memory right after the other, all the way up to the last time that I had gone to Compline before that, which was October 10th, 2002. The day that I had was here and interviewed with the search committee from this church and they'd offered me the job. I had all of these memory flashes for about 20 minutes. And at the end, I got one of those thoughts that I knew was Jesus and it said, have I ever let you down? And I thought, well, not yet, no. <laughs> there have been some tough times, that divorce thing, that was no fun, but, but you were there, you were in it, and you brought good out of it. So then I spent the next ten minutes saying two words over and over again, thank you, thank you, thank you. I went thinking I was going to go beg, but all I ended up doing was saying thank you over and over again. And I left feeling an incredible peace. Not that everything was going to turn out the way I wanted it to or that we'd reach the goal and I wouldn't be fired. No, no. I just had this feeling of peace and I was focused on Jesus and I felt calm no matter what happened. And that feeling lasted through a lot of the campaign. Now, there were times when I worried. The staff can attest to that. But not as much as I would have thought I would have and not as much as I normally do, which occasionally caused me to worry that I wasn't worried. It's a weird little world in here. You don't want to... You don't want to get in there. It's just bad. But mostly I had the feeling that I was a sailboat and there was this wind that was just pushing me along. And I was just along for the ride. I even remembered saying to a friend at one point that I have this strange feeling. I think it's called fun. I think I'm having fun. And when a pastor says that during a capital campaign, you know that's God. This thing that was supposed to be the apex of anxiety turned out to be the place where God taught me to worry less. Partly because you guys have been so encouraging and you guys have helped me in that, but also because I managed to focus on Jesus for much of the time. Not all of it, but a lot more than I normally am able to do. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. It's all about what you're focused on. A couple of weeks ago, someone sent me a story about some organization that offered $5,000 apiece for wolves that were captured alive. So these 200 sought their fortune and went out and scoured the forest looking for wolves. And oh, one night they were sleeping out under the stars and 
One of them woke up and saw about 20 or 30 wolves surrounding them, growling, snarling, teeth bared. And so he nudged his friend and he said, Jed, wake up. We're rich. All about what you're focused on. Right? Am I making my point? It's all about what you're focused on. So what's your bondage? And what are you worried about? And where's your focus? This week, will you rebuke the worry? Read God's promises in Scripture. Remember God's faithfulness in the past and receive Jesus in prayer so that you can connect with God's power that can deliver you from any kind of bondage, even if it's unrelated to worry. You know, at the end of this story, I love the end of the story that we just read. Jesus calms the storm and the disciples say this great thing. They say, who is this man that he can command even the waves and the winds? That is, they end up being more in awe of Jesus' power than the storm. Whatever your bondage is, Jesus is bigger. He is still on the throne. He is still the one who conquered death. And the storms in your life, the clouds, the rains, the winds, the waves, they still know his voice who ruled them while he dwelt below. He is mighty to save. And he can save you. And that's what we're going to talk about next week, how powerful he is. So come back. We're going to break some chains and we're going to make the devil very unhappy. Lord Jesus, thank you that if we just focus on you, we can have peace. So, Lord, right now, we want to bring our worries, that health problem, that money problem, that career problem, that relationship problem. Jesus, we lay it at the foot of your cross. And, Jesus, we look up into your face and we say, Lord, these are yours. What do you want to do with them? Keep us in perfect peace, and we'll give you the glory. In your name, Jesus, amen.